This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to episode 456 of IAQ Radio. It's Friday, April 21st, 2017, and this week we welcome Ellen Tone of Tone Environmental Strategies. Uh, We're going to talk about health and home performance. We're calling it a game changer. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. IAQ Radio marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services or products. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Congratulations to Vic Cafaro, Richmond, Virginia for the first correct answer to last week's IQ Radio Trivia Question. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, Friday, April 21, 2017, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for today's IQ Radio Trivia Question. Approximately what percentage of the energy going into a fossil fuel power plant is converted to energy going out. Back to you, Joe. Okay, today's guest is Ellen Tone. She is an environmental health consultant with over 30 years of experience. She is a nationally recognized expert in housing-based environmental health threats, green and healthy housing, and indoor air quality. She has served as an advisor on health issues to the U.S. Green Building Council's LEAD program, Enterprise Green Communities, Delos Living, and the EPA's Department of Energy, along with numerous other green building programs. She got her bachelor's degree from Cornell and a master's degree from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and she's also an assistant professor of practice at Brown School of Public Health. Hello, Ellen. Do we have you on the line? You do, Joe. Happy to be here. Great. Welcome. Great to have you. I've been wanting to talk to you here for quite a while. We met many years back, and I just haven't been able to hook up, but now we've got you here. And um, one of the reasons is the Northeast Indoor Air Quality and Energy Conference, sponsored by Maine's Indoor Air Quality Council, is coming up soon. I saw you on the list there, and I thought, you know, let's let's get her on the show, and we can promote that as well as talk a little to listeners about health and home performance and indoor air quality. I'm just curious, um, there's been a pretty big change in in the government here recently, and I, I'm wondering what, you know, you do a lot of work for companies and organizations, I guess, that deal with indoor air quality and home health issues. What do you see as the future of these kind of programs in, in the United States? Well, you know, I think it's it's an interesting uh, inflection point, right? We're, we're at a time where we're from a government investment, federal government investment standpoint, you know, the picture is a little bit bleak, right? EPA preliminary budget sort of zeroed out the lead program and the radon programs and the whole indoor air uh, environments division. So, um, you know, I think you you have at this moment maybe a little less investment in that at the federal level. At the same time, I think what we're kind of feeling and seeing in in the marketplace is in a variety of sectors, a, a lot of 
interest and new understanding about um, how important where you live is to your health. And so um, we're seeing energy efficiency programs start, and we can jump into this a little bit more later, Joe, but energy efficiency programs really kind of think about indoor air quality and health. Uh, we're seeing um, uh, health, the health world has sort of changed its whole way that they think about health care to not just being sick care, what I would say, treating people when they're sick, but really the prevention thing. So the ethos in the whole public health world is where you live, work, and play and learn is very uh, is going to define how healthy you are. And so think about that, where you live, where you work, and where you learn, all of those are indoor environments. And so I think there's a pretty strong recognition that those environments are super important to how healthy people are. Um, and there's, you know, there's, I think one of the things that we're talking a ton about in this country right now is health, right? We are talking about how to keep people healthier at a, at a cost that's less, um, that we have been paying. So I think you've got this duality, which is, you know, part of the federal government, maybe disinvesting consumers caring more energy programs, caring more healthcare delivery service, uh, delivery kind of coming around to a recognition of this. Um, and I'd say the third big force that I think is really interesting is around technology. Um, we're starting to see, and I'm sure you've had guests on about this, and know way more about it than I do, but, you know, new, more affordable and, and uh, valid ways to start to measure what's going on inside indoor environments in a way that can uh, tell regular consumers and homeowners or per- home performance contractors, you know, what's really going on in an indoor environment and not have those be really complicated, expensive research uh, tools that are really in the hands of a few. Um, and I guess, uh, so I think, you know, all of those things, and then we've, we've definitely seen um, green building standards take off, and they have a ton of, a ton of health elements in them, um, and new standards that are even focused on well-being in, gel- in general, like the well-being standard. So I think, um, I think you've got a variety of forces that are not totally exactly aligned at this moment. Well, and one of those forces you mentioned is the Home Performance Group, and and they are, you know, we've had a few shows about this, but they are getting much more interested in and focused on indoor environmental quality issues. And I'm wondering, is that something that came about because of a necessity? I mean, they kind of had to change the focus a little bit, or how did that? How did that get started? Yeah, you know. Uh- I, well, I'm not sure I have the, the perfect answer on this, but my sense of it is, and I was just uh, down at the Home Performance um, Conference in Nashville giving a couple of talks and, and participating and sitting in a panel of a variety of home performance contractors who are using health as part of their marketing. One of them is even called Home Docs, a company in L.A., and they literally wear scrubs. That's their company uniform. Hmm. Um, so I think... Um, but I, I think that when you are in the home performance business and we offer this integrated home performance set of services, right, all the stuff that we know around mechanicals and envelope improvement and indoor air quality, some of that is just stuff people don't understand or might not really, the, the value proposition doesn't always resonate with them. So I'm actually going to share some, uh, uh, you and I were chatting a little before we came online to the group, but some data I found really interesting, and I, I think it, it's sort of relevant to this, which is that when we're trying to deal with customers and consumers around fixing up their home, uh, the Shelton Group has done some terrific market research on this that I recently um, had a chance to hear about. And what people say is that six, it, it, they take two-thirds of folks that they survey, and they've been surveying thousands of people uh, for 10 years or more, so they've got really good data, are concerned about the indoor quality in the home. They have some anxiety about that, which is really kind of a startling number, right? Sure. And 84% of people think that energy-efficient homes are healthier. And when you ask them, um, which of the things that are going on in your home bother you, about 80% um, include the following two statements. The air inside my home is too humid in the summer, or I experience nasal allergy symptoms when I'm inside my home. So there's something about the air that doesn't feel comfortable to them, and they think that they're having some 
asthma or respiratory or nasal things. So I think what the home performance industry is tapping into is that we've got a bunch of people who've got asthma and respiratory problems. So on average, about 10% of uh, folks somewhere between 8 and 12, depending on where you live, uh, have, have asthma. Um, that, that percentage is bigger if you count allergies and other respiratory problems. And people are connecting that sometimes to their home environment. They're worried about their indoor air quality in their home. And I think they have this instinct that home performance contractors can do something about it. That's that 84% think energy-efficient homes are healthier. So I think home performance contractors that are trying to sell business, you know, and listening to their customers are hearing um, that this is something I care about. I think you can do something about it. And one of the things the data also tell us that's very strong for consumers is one of the things that motivates us is we want to get control of our environment. You know, I don't want my house to feel cold or hot. I want to be able to control the temperature. I want the air to feel good, smell good, and I want to protect my family. So particularly when you, you if the decision maker are uh, young moms, or often can be the decision makers in those, some of those sales situations, they, they really want to make sure that that newborn they're bringing home is going to be in a safe, uh, protected environment and from an air quality and temperature standpoint. So, you know, I think, I, I think there's both customers saying, I, I think something's going on here, and their recognition that the home performance could maybe do something about it. And then I think some recognition from home performance contractors that, hey, you know what, maybe we, we, could, be, we could be selling a little more on, um, on this point. Um, because it does, um, it does matter. Um, and um, the other thing to say about this, this market research data is pr- pretty interesting. Uh, the other thing they ask people is, could you explain terms to, uh, like, your mother or your brother, not do you understand them, but do you understand them well enough to explain it to somebody? And only a quarter of people say they can explain the term inter air quality. So I think we do have a communications problem, right? We're concerned. We think home performance can do something about it. But the customer doesn't really know what we're talking about. Well, that, that kind of gives me a lead into another question. What you you're mentioning home performance contractors a lot, and 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 we're going to talk more about the um, occupant health benefits of residential energy efficiency, the document. And if I recall correctly, somewhere in there, it talked about the fact that consumers call a mechanical contractor an HVAC contractor. Do they even know, how many people know what home performance contractors are and what they do? You know, I don't think very many. I know I think it may vary, right? Like in New York State, and I sort of has done a better job of uh, getting that messaging out, but I don't think people know what home performance contractors do. I think it's not a bad term. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a decent term of art, but mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think they know. Um, you know, there was, um, what do you think? Well, I think when, when you talk about like energy, I don't know what they called them, energy raiders or what did they used to go by energy? Um, well, they're HERS raiders, but, uh, they're like uh, energy auditors. Energy auditors. Yeah. I think people recognize that for a while and then they changed over to home performance, which I agree better describes what they do. But I, I kind of compare that to the way a lot of the indoor air quality people are now calling it indoor environmental quality. And I, I wonder if people are confused by that from time to time. Yeah, I think so. You know, it, it's interesting looking at this market research data. One of the things that the market researchers conclude in, in talking about the way utilities talk about home performance or energy upgrades is that customers, they don't know what we're, the heck we're talking about most of the time. If you ask um you know, terms you could confidently explain to a friend. Energy efficiency gets the best. Energy efficient home is 38%, but, you know, IQ is only 28%. HVAC, only 20% people even could describe that term. And home performance is down at 14%. I'm just okay. looking at the data here. I see. So only 14% of people say they could explain home performance versus uh, um, energy efficient um, uh, home an efficient home, 38%, you know, three times as many people say they can explain that. A green home, you know, almost 30%, almost three times as many. So home performance 
a good term, but nobody knows what it means. And then I have a text, and I think you just answered it. Was that 25% of consumers know what IAQ is? I think you said 28% feel like they could explain what it's it 28%. is. It's 28%. Yeah. So the, 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 the market research question was, term, can you uh, confidently and correctly explain the following term to a friend? So only 28% they said they could confidently and correctly explain uh, indoor air quality to a friend. Now, the, the the number you threw out, and I, I want to make sure I got it right because I, I find this fascinating. Yeah. 80% of people felt that air was maybe too humid in the summer or that they had um, allergies more often in their indoor environment. Did I get that right? Yeah. So let me let me give you the exact question because I kind of summarized it in the way I said it. So um, 86% of people acknowledged at least one indicator of a lack of comfort when asked specific questions. So basically, nine out of ten people, let's, let's round the 86%. So a lot of people said at least one of the following things um, that was occurring in their home. And two, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine. There are ten of them. Two of them were the ones I read you. Uh, the air inside my home is too humid in the summer. I sometimes experience nasal allergy symptoms when I'm in my house. Okay. The other ones, the, the, not, the 86% said had at least one of these 10, and two of the ones were the ones I read you. I'll read you the other ones, which is, I wish my home had more natural light. Uh, during the summer, my windows uh, let in more heat than I'd like. I wish I had more control over my home's temperature. I wish my home were better insulated against outside noise. The windows in my home are give out a harsh glare in the afternoon and sometimes i have a hard time reading or doing tasks because the lighting's not very good and the last one was uh it's drafty and cold in my house in the winter so what i just said plus uh, too humid and the nasal allergy symptoms nine you know 86 percent of people said at least one of those things is happening in my house so what's interesting about the of those 10 you know two of them uh, kind of relate to indoor air quality being too humid and the nasal allergies. Um, but a bunch of them relate to home performance in general, right? right. Too cold. Um, my temperature is not good. It's drafty. The temperature it could be better insulated because of noise. The windows, I'm too hot in the summer. Um, and then the other thing, you know, it's really about comfort and lighting. Comfort, lighting, and I would say indoor air quality are the three, the three things that come out of that. Before I go into the document on occupant health effect, health benefits of residential energy, I, I was on your website and I noticed a program you called the One Touch Program, and I wonder if you could tell listeners a little bit about what that is. Yeah, great. I, I'm super excited about uh, this program that we've been rolling out around the country. So One Touch um, really is a pretty simple idea. It starts with the notion that we have these energy efficiency programs for homes and we have home visiting programs where we go to people's homes for, for, for health reasons, early childhood interventions, or um, lead, lead uh, remediation programs, asthma home visiting, or uh, trip and fall stuff. And then we have housing repair programs. And a lot of what I'm talking about here are actually programs geared a little more for low-income families. And these programs are all totally siloed because of the way their money comes. And they don't really connect with each other. And what One Touch does is we work in a local community, or I'm actually calling you from Vermont today, where we do quite a bit of work, and in Vermont we're working statewide. We connect all those programs, a really great statewide coalition in Vermont, a Burlington coalition, Omaha, Nebraska has a coalition like this, we'll be going out to Kansas City. Next week I work with someone who's been on your show quite a bit, Kevin Kennedy, to bring a one-touch um, program out to them. And what we do is connect those programs so that everybody going into a house, whether you're a home performance contract or a utility energy efficiency program, a weatherization program, a housing rehab program, a general contractor, you're doing a lead job, we ask about 15 questions that touch on these health, housing, and energy needs. And depending on what the client tells us, we do what we were normally going to do, and then we connect you with other programs that can kind of fill in the gaps for the other services you need. So you know, a good example in Vermont, we've done about 1,400 homes, The every weatherization, uh, low-income energy efficiency job in Vermont gets a one-touch 
We call it a one-touch checkup, and we find about a quarter of the households needs something else, and we're very connected with the health department and other nonprofits providing housing rehab services or lead, as I said, or asthma education, or even a smoking cessation, which, you know, you and I know when we think about indoor air quality, that's a big indoor air quality source that people are smoking a lot in their homes. So mm-hmm. we uh, sometimes, you know, we're doing a home performance job, we're doing a weatherization job, and we're improving, you know, we're doing all our things, we're improving ventilation. We say, hey, you know, uh, does anyone here smoke? Are you interested in getting connected with a quit line? And uh, we get quite a few people saying yes to that answer, and then we connect them with services around smoking cessation, or we connect them uh, with other services they need for, um, let's say you're doing a home performance job, and there's some, or a utility energy efficiency job, and there's, you know, a roof leak, and you can't insulate the attic, so we want to connect you with a program that can give you a lower interest loan or a grant to do that, or... um, you know, connect you with uh, you're worried about your asthma symptoms and asthma problems. We can connect you with an asthma education program that can do with some really good coaching on that. So it's it's really easy to roll out in a community. It brings people together. Uh, folks love that they get connected with other resources in their community, and it has led to some really interesting um, collaborations where we're not just referring, but we're actually building programs into each other so that energy efficiency gets built into lead hazard control jobs automatically, um, and a uh, bunch of other examples. So it's been, uh, it's been great, and what I love about these is they're kind of sustainable, and you get some really terrific coalitions involved, and we're starting to see in some of those coalitions a little more active participation from folks from the healthcare sector, where, um, and we can talk about this more later, where maybe we will have uh, healthcare partners um, subsidizing small parts of uh, some of what we do in the in the home performance and energy energy efficiency area in homes, and that so in, uh, in part so I one touch. In part, I assume the healthcare people get involved because they're trying they're focusing more on prevention as opposed to treating the symptoms. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's it's really both. One is that we healthcare might get involved, as you say, because. Um, we can make sure when we do energy efficiency jobs that we make the home environment safer, but we're actually also seeing it with sick patients. So um, in Vermont, uh, we're, uh, there's uh, early efforts underway to, to be connecting a, uh, a regional hospital in the western part of the, uh, southwestern part of the state with folks who can do energy efficiency and a neighbor works program that does housing rehab where if they've got patients that have really been struggling with asthma and they haven't been able to get their asthma out of, under control, we, someone is sent from the hospital out to their uh, home to take a look. And if they think there are home conditions that are really could be fixed that would make their asthma better, then that's going to trigger a visit by um, either um, an, ener- an energy auditor who's been trained to also look at healthy homes um, kinds of triggers and asthma triggers, and we're going to try and get that house fixed through a combination of uh, combination of resources, and uh, and the hospital's got a little bit of skin in that game and subsidizing a little bit of those uh, home repairs or putting money into a loan fund that will allow people to um, get that work done and, and take in a lower, no-cost loan. Hmm. Sounds like an interesting approach to, to an issue within the industry. A lot of things are kind of in silos. You know, the lead-based paint guys have to have a lead license to do an assessment the asbestos guys the same thing the radon people and and it sounds like a good way to help try and connect all those different uh different groups that can help people with their indoor environment yeah yeah and i think the other thing honestly joe is it you know in the same community people have been working on things that they just don't even know the other resources are out there so we're never going to be able to get our clients or families that we're working with the services they need if we don't even know what they are. So I, I think people have, um, you know, because sometimes you go in a house to do the thing you're there for and you see something else and you go, I really wish I could help them on this. And and this is a system that help, that allows you to do it. So you do a common assessment checkup, then we have a really nice software so the family needs something, we just check that off and an email sent to the organization that can help them with the information they need so they can connect right up with that family. So, hmm. um Try, trying to trying to use a, you know accessible technology, not make us too crazy. 
Interesting. And you, you mentioned earlier the the low-cost sensors that are available now. Are you building them into that program at all? You know, we um, we we have not done that yet. I'm uh, one of the things for this year is is really to test out some of them. Uh, Lawrence Brickley Labs and Ian Walker just did a did a look, um, uh, Ian and also Brent Singer just did a look at how well they're doing, and so I'm waiting to see some of those results as they kind of test them out for their validity. Um, some of them are giving us some results that are kind of a little all over the map, so. I, I think we're in an we're in an experimentation phase. I'm not. I'd like to be doing more of that. I'm not quite there yet. Okay, I'm glad I asked because that that's something we've talked quite a bit about. We had the people who developed the spec from CMU on. We had the Fubot guy on. So, yep. very interesting yep. uh, topic. Yeah, yeah, you know, you might uh, just I'd encourage it. You know, Brent and would the, uh, Lars Berkeley's doing some good field testing, so it might be an interesting. Uh, People can reach out. I don't think they published anything. They've shared some some data, but I, I think it's I think it's a really fruitful area for um, thinking about. You know, the only thing I think about is I, I worry that we're going to get so obsessed with those kind of data that, that we're going to miss kind of like the forest through the trees. You're going to worry about little counts of particles. Of I mean, I care about particles, but you know, you're going to forget about dampness and moisture. Still, one of the biggest enemies uh, that we're fighting. You know, and uh, stuff you can see good so point the stuff that you can see we we, we got to do that so let's not get so focused on these other things that we you know we know if you live in a damp environment um even if we don't have mold you know 30 to 50 percent increased risk of a whole variety of respiratory problems so you know we got to get people to really understand dampness and and pest uh you know pests in the crap literally poop and crap they leave behind or all significant asthma triggers that we that we that we can see and that we can fix for. Well, and those are those are the kind of things you looked at in, in this document too. Occupant health benefits of residential energy efficiency. Let's let's go back to the foundation. What what led to the development of that document? Yeah. So um, E for the Future is a new national nonprofit that uh, uh, recently was formed after Conservation Services Group. Uh, um, was acquired by Clear Results and and uh, some of the founders Steve Cowell and others from uh, CSG used that as an opportunity to create um, a national nonprofit, which is really around um, energy equity, environment, um, and employment um, that they're trying to advance. And they uh, have been very much interested in promoting energy efficiency and a clean energy economy. And I've known Steve for many years and. He said, oh, you know, I keep hearing about this health stuff. You know, it's, I don't really understand it. Like, I can say to people, there are health benefits for energy efficiency, but I don't have the sentence after that. So can you help me? Can you help us understand it? So originally we, uh, we uh, wrote this document to help E for the Future themselves really understand internally what the health benefits were of energy efficiency. And as we delved into it more, um, we it, it really became clear that there uh, that we could document a pretty credible story here that there you know if you do energy efficiency well in a residential sector we can improve home environments we can help create healthier environments where people can be healthier that we um, wanted to expand the study a little and give it a little more outward facing you know let more people see it and add two other pieces which is you know okay so if that's true and we can get into some of the nuts and bolts of that that's true who's out there doing energy efficiency that um with with an intention around health um or where they're expanding the energy efficiency work to be sort of like a weatherization plus health or energy efficiency plus health they're doing a little more so we profiled a few local programs and then the third thing we uh, end up looking at was if there really are these uh health co-benefits of energy efficiency work. A lot of this work is funded and regulated by utilities who have very strict cost-effectiveness tests and um, ways that they design their programs. And some states do consider what they uh, call non-energy benefits or non-energy impacts. And if there really are these health benefits, how do we value them and how can that be taken account of in a, in a regulatory context? So we profiled uh, some of how people have... Um, 
monetize the health benefits, put a real value on it so that in utility program design, it's taken into account and, uh, and recognized. So uh, we could, um, in particular, some interesting stuff that's happening in Massachusetts right now. So that, uh, that's really, and, and I Eat for the Future is now really interested in thinking about how we can continue to tell this story. And this document was a companion, came out really concurrent with a similar report from the Department of Energy that looked at not just the health benefits of energy efficiency, but more broadly of home performance and green renovation and uh I led the E for the Future one and was on the team that the the DOE report, which was uh, led by the National Center for Healthy Housing. Um, So both reports are terrific. What's that report called? That report. I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, (laughs) I'll tell you what we'll do. I'm just. I haven't. I got to argue. Home RX. Home RX. Home performance. Okay. Yep, right. if you Google Home RX, the health benefits of home performance. It's a literature review of the current literature. Both of these did not do new research. We just looked at existing research, um, and they're really wonderfully uh, companion documents. And it looked like to me that the Home RX was kind of the foundation on which you built when E4 put together the occupant health benefits of residential energy efficiency. So a lot of the research on what types of uh, research projects had occurred that kind of correlated health effects and energy they had already started to work on or discover. Yes, exactly right. We did a big, big literature search on the, for the DOE uh, project and identified a whole bunch of studies and, and looked at uh, all of them. Uh, you know, um, we had about 300 articles that we looked at in detail and we sort of got it down to 50 that we thought were the most powerful. So um, you're right. We use that work. And then for EAP, and that work is, uh, that report organizes the research by a type of activity, energy efficiency, home energy efficiency plus home performance and standalone um, IEQ kind of work, um, like uh, room air ventilators and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, air cleaners. The E for the future, we took, we just focused on energy efficiency. We took a little different tack. We looked at it by type of health outcome. So what do we know about what you can do to improve respiratory, asthma and respiratory health? And what do we know about energy efficiency in terms of how it improves other health um, conditions? So um, absolutely using the same study, just kind of sliced it a slightly um, a different a different way, um, but for sure. Okay. Well, we've got we've got a break for our halftime. Before we do, Cliff has an announcement he wants to make, and then we'll be back with Ellen Tone for the second half of our interview in about 90 seconds. great sadness that we announced the passing of James V. Barrett. Jim was the founder of Fire Restoration Services of New England, an inspiring industry pioneer who built a legendary service company doing high-profile restoration projects for high-profile clients, including the Kennedy family, celebrities, and sports personalities. He was extremely proud of being a certified restorer a designation that he earned in 1980. His certified restore number is two. He was generous, willingly sharing his technical knowledge and business acumen through his long and strong association involvement and volunteerism. He hosted plant tours of his impressive facility, which was truly both state-of-the-art and best-in-class. 
Those of us who knew him and had less experienced, smaller, less mature, and less successful businesses all wanted to be him. We wanted to emulate him and his success. He epitomized the restoration class act. He was a president of the New England Institute for Rug Cleaning and the National Institute of Fire Restoration, uh, a division of RIA. A foundational member of the restoration industry, he is fondly remembered by those who knew him, and especially those who rose in the industry ranks alongside him. He wasn't all business. He also liked to, and he knew how to have fun. A happy-go-lucky Irishman with a smiling face, friendly greeting. He had a gift for storytelling and joking. I'll miss the hearty slaps on my back and his friendly, encouraging words. He will be missed. IAQ Radio would like to thank our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com, count on us. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them, WolfSense.com. IAQ marquee sponsors are... John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Ellen Tone on the line. We're going to talk a little. I want to get into a little more detail about uh, this document, Occupant Health Benefits of Residential Energy Efficiency. Ellen, I guess first, what to what extent do energy efficiency programs and practices help to improve the health of occupants by reducing things like asthma risks, respiratory symptoms, and other health risks linked to home conditions is is there pretty good proof now that energy efficiency programs i guess done right help with health yeah you know i i think two things joe the thing you said last is super important which is done right right we we can all uh think of in our own minds or maybe had to go back to a job where the work wasn't done well and we tighten up us and we ended up with the extra moisture problems and a variety of so if, if we're doing the work right, I think we have some pretty good evidence now. Um, so our report um, looked, when we just looked at energy efficiency, we uh, had 12 studies that we thought, so we, we looked, as we said, you know, over 300. We, we found 12 studies that we felt really good about and two that, had, that were just on ventilation standalone. Um, and they all documented some improvement in either occupant health or, envi- or home, you know, indoor environmental conditions. And when we break it out, we saw, um, I will say that we have more of the research focuses on the homes of lower income families because those tend to be government sponsored or utility sponsored programs um, that have put in some budgets for evaluation or where folks have, uh, have gone and done the research. So, we um, what we saw is that I'm just looking here at my data state exactly right. Okay. Um, so if we just focus on asthma for a second, you know, as I said before, about you know between eight and twelve percent of folks have asthma. If you're in a lower income population, um, for example, the folks getting served by DOE's weatherization program, in that case, sixteen percent of um, adults, the adults in that household had asthma. So, you know, it could be up to one in five um, households. And we know that about 40% of diagnosed asthma is associated with some home condition, moisture, temperature variation, pests, stuff like that. So not totally surprising, but what we did find is that after energy efficiency, 
uh, occupants can experience fewer asthma symptoms and related emergency department use. So the one big study of the DOE's weatherization program um, found 12% fewer asthma ED emergency department visits um, amongst the asthmatics after the weatherization work was done. Um, we They also asked people to rate their health on a scale of one to five from, you know, uh, excellent to, to poor and saw a 48% decline in uh, the um, in poor health. So really significant improvement there where people said, you know, I just feel better. Those, uh, they sound mushy, those scales, one to five, rate your health. But, you know, that public health community is, those are pretty well validated scales. How people rate their own health is very, very predictive of uh, chronic illness and other health care expenses. So self-reports about health are, are good, uh, are good indicators of what's going on. So we definitely saw fewer asthma symptoms in a couple of studies, fewer ED visits. Um, and um, those, and, and we also, just focusing on asthma, we also saw those um, improvements get better when people added a little bit more what I would call sort of home repair and client education. So, for example, there's a terrific study in Washington State where we had asthmatics, and um, normally for asthmatics, we'll send a community health worker to their home and do some education, like three-visit community health worker, uh, about taking your asthma meds, reducing your home triggers of moisture, pests, um, you know, burning incense, candles, spraying air fresheners, all those kinds of things that could be irritants. And then for uh, half the group, or we added, and we also did energy, we, I shouldn't say we, also energy efficiency weatherization work was done where they also pulled up some carpeting and really did a pretty good job on ventilation. And in that case, uh, we saw another 23% reduction in, in asthma that was sort of out of control. You know, you're not going to cure asthma, but what you want people to have is not have bad symptoms that prevent from sleeping or going to work or going to school. So when we added that kind of energy efficiency with a little bit of home repair, we definitely um, saw more improvements. So we, we see these improvements for respiratory health and asthma. We see them most strongly in lower-income households or people who have pre-existing conditions, right? I'm not going to see as much improvement as asthma if people didn't have asthma to begin with. So when we focus those studies on people with asthma, we tend to see uh, improvements and also sinus infections, colds, throat irritation. A variety of the studies ask those kinds of questions, and we saw improvements uh, when they asked those questions. The other kinds of health benefits that we did ask about headache, the variety of the studies asked about headaches or hypertension, high blood pressure, um, mental health, overall health, and again saw improvements in all of those categories as well. Um, hmm. Just to not be too long winded, but some of the studies also measured stuff, right? We, they measured moisture, uh, VOCs, formaldehyde radon, and we saw generally improvements in um, uh, VOCs and moisture problems um, because most of these are energy efficiency programs that are adding some ventilation, typically compliant with like an ASHRAE 622 uh, 2010 standard, and we saw improvements. There, there are two areas where we saw some areas of caution. So. Let me stop there because I feel like I've been talking for okay, no, a little well, bit. I can get let, into the caution. Let's get the caution real quick. I, I believe one was radon, and, and what was the other? Uh, formaldehyde. Formaldehyde. So we, we definitely saw a couple of yeah you know, saw a couple of studies where um, after after the work uh, radon went down in some homes, but we saw some uh, some of the studies reported some situations where radon levels um, did increase. Um, the Interesting thing to say about that is I'm actually involved in uh, two studies that are funded um, by uh, DOE and uh, one is actually sort of combination of HUD, DOE, and EPA funds where we're, um, and these build on a a small study I did in Maine where we tracked what happened to radon levels after weatherization and energy efficiency. These studies are now saying, hey, let's take some uh, let's do some precautionary measures during our energy efficiency, uh, particularly working in a home that might have like a, a dirt floor or a crawl space or open sump, right? Because I am 
well, I'm tightening this house up and I'm reducing the stack effects. So I should be pulling less out of the ground. If I've got a big significant source, I want to uh, minimize the entry point for those soil gases. So uh, the University of Chicago and National Center for Healthy Housing are leading these studies that I'm um, participating in. And we're looking at how radon might change after weatherization. In one case, doing these precautionary measures and the other, making sure that it's weatherization um, energy efficiency that complies with ASHRAE 622, the 2010 standard. And um, I think we'll have those results in, in a year or so because we're we're testing, we're doing the work, we're testing right after the work was done, and we're testing at a one-year follow-up. So um, too early to, to, to give results, but um, there's a lot of interest in better understanding this and seeing the extent to which following an ASHRAE 622, 2010 standard uh would help prevent us from doing harm, which nobody wants to do. Some some early work by the University of Illinois, uh, Paul Francisco, Champaign-Urbana, um, did show with an ASHRAE 622-2010 that um, saw some actual able to see some reductions in radon uh, post-energy efficiency. So it was a small study, and we're, we're looking to do bigger numbers and get a better handle on this. Okay. Cliff, you have a follow-up? I, I do, I do, but it's probably a couple of minutes back. Um, Ellen, you know, one of the things that you talked about was this added work that was done in the homes uh, following the energy, uh, you know, efficiency improvements such as uh, removal of the carpet and, and, and so on and so forth, and that that had additional uh, improvement. Um, are you finding that this additional improvement holds over time or are you going back to those houses and find out that you know it's not holding uh, you know, my, my question is really more related to you know, to the deep cleaning and cleanliness and, and particulate and so on and so forth that's also known to uh, exacerbate asthma and, and respiratory issues yeah yeah, I mean, great question. And the answer is these studies really pretty much usually end at a one-year follow-up. So I don't really have data beyond one year. But we, we, we see the, the improvements, um, some of them persisting six months to one year. So, you know, if you put in a new carpet, and you raise a good point, right, and no one ever vacuums that carpet, um, then um, in this case, they've pulled the carpet and they've put in smooth and resilient floorings with that expectation in mind, which is, you know, I always like to say, Cliff, uh, uh, behavior change, and I'm going to belie my New England roots, behavior change is wicked hard, um, <laughs> but, you know, engineering control, much better. So if I, <laughs> if I can g- get rid of something that, you know, turning on a bath switch um, it versus it, you know, I turn on a light switch and it stays on automatically, the bath, you know, exhaust fan, the nice, you know, quiet new fans that we have that are really good. So we've been generally taking carpet out because we don't trust people to vacuum and uh, put smooth and resilient flooring down. So I think if we had the allergen loads reasonably low at one year, um, that's a pretty good um, reason to hope that it would uh, persist. But we, we generally haven't followed people much longer than that. Alan, let me let me ask this. You've got, you know, you're, you're gathering good information that Home energy upgrades, at least done properly, um, will help with health. But my question is, how do we get that built into the energy efficiency programs out there? Because I don't know that at this point anyway, I hear a lot of complaints about the programs that, you know, they, they don't necessarily look at a whole home or home performance. It's kind of, you know... Let's get the low-hanging fruit and then move on to the next one. How do you get the whole, the the money behind it, I guess, geared more towards whole home improvement and home performance? Well, I think it kind of depends on who's who's uh, sponsoring the programs. You know, if I'm a utility, I really care about therms and kilowatts saved, right? Right. I, I don't know that I... I'm, I'm not rewarded by doing the other stuff. So I think we're going to have to see to really, you know, here's the thing that's frustrating, right? I've got an energy auditor who I can train uh, with the new BPI Healthy Homes Evaluator credential, which will help train him or her 
do a pretty good assessment around health. So I've got somebody in there, and that's the most expensive thing, getting somebody there, right? Getting a contractor to do an assessment is expensive. Um, and so I don't want to miss that chance. And I can definitely feel, pre- I, I feel confident that we can train those people to be pretty good on the health side. But the utilities are not necessarily, um, it's not really what they're driven to do. So I think we're going to need some collaboration with our health, health partners. Uh, we, we are having, uh, so for utility programs, what I think we need to be thinking about is how utility and straight-up energy programs can collaborate with health sector partners where there could be some shared cost savings where maybe the health sector will pay for some part of that assessment uh, of the home because in the, particularly in the homes of people who are costing them a boatload of money, um, right? If I right. can, uh, if an ER visit is at least a thousand bucks, you know, if I can avoid some of those, it's pretty good investment to help subsidize the home assessment. Then the question is, if I, if I find stuff, who pays to get it fixed? Um, the energy efficiency work, I've just kind of made my case that I think it can improve, improve health. I think we're going to still have the energy sector pay for that. But if there were these add-on things, Cliff said, sort of pulling carpet and putting smooth and resilient, you know, smooth flooring down or um, um, dealing with some moisture problems that are really not connected to the energy work, mm-hmm. then um, we can, um, you know, we have to be exploring whether in some cases that's on the, the occupant to do. You know, look, if, you're, if your family and your kids are struggling with asthma, um, you know, you're, you want to do everything you can to make your kids feel better and you feel better. And probably no one's ever told you that having a home performance contractor come in could be part of the solution. So one thing is, you know, we could get the health sector to feel more confident in recommending that. And I think on the energy-funded side of things, we've got to develop some new models where we can see in what situations does it make sense for the health sector to be, help, to be part of the payer, Right, part of the funding stream to support it. An interesting models going on in Washington State. Um, the Opportunities Council out there, uh, uh, Community Action Agency, developed weatherization plus health years and years ago. I've known those guys for a long time, uh, John Davies, and um, they now actually have uh, state dollars that are going to do weatherization, energy efficiency in low-income homes, and they've allocated a bunch of money for healthy homes. And they're going to be doing that work and then tracking, and they're getting referrals from community health centers. So we're going to get referrals for energy jobs from community health centers for asthmatics where we think the house has got something to do with it. We're going to give them a weatherization, energy efficiency, plus healthy homes. The state's going to pay for for all of that, and they're going to track what happens in their Medicaid costs because they did an early study that showed some reductions in Medicaid costs after weatherization and weatherization plus health. But it's super small study, um, you know, can be highly influenced by one or two people's Medicaid costs. So, um, so that, you know, I think that's an effort to engage Medicaid programs and, um, and energy programs together to say, is there a new ma- is there a new service we can deliver? Because we have an interesting national workforce, right? Mm-hmm. We have the energy efficiency workforce and the home performance workforce that is trained and what the healthcare system likes is to write prescriptions. And so the question is, can we be part of the pharmacy? We stock part of the pharmacy. Interesting. Cliff, do you have a follow-up? I do. Uh, Alan, you know, one of the things that, John, I've learned over the, the, the course of doing this show, probably I think more in the last year than any time uh, prior to that, was how important uh, the area is where we sleep and what's immediately in contact with us and the breathing zone and and, and so on and so forth. And I, I guess, you know, we know that many of the uh, asthma uh, attacks that people get and so on and so forth, that there's a strong connection with dust mites. And there's probably some things they could do that are pretty inexpensive, you know, like changing the pillows and, you know, encapsulating the mattresses and stuff like that. And I'm not sure whether even that's considered, but that could really make a, a pretty significant difference at a very low cost. Yeah, yeah. I, no, that's totally right. You know, when we do these community health worker visits for asthma, that's part of what they talk about, right? How to better control the environment where you're spending a lot of time. And so, 
You know, I think that's an interesting question, which is if we're going to have energy efficiency folks add on some health, you know, a lot of those folks, Cliff, are more mechanical. <laughs> you know, they're more technical. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of what has to happen with the, the client is um, is an educational engagement, right? Here, here are things that, in addition to, you know, I'm going to make it warm and I'm going to uh, improve the ventilation, um, you know, I'm going to add some filter. You know, I'm going to make sure your filters are better. I'm going to, um, you know, get some air changes going here and so on. But here are some things that you can do, and here are some things you should stop doing, right? We had a case of a Kevin always talks. I think it was Kevin or some um, other uh, pediatrician of mine. You know, we someone had an asthmatic kid, and they were worried about uh, what was triggering their asthma attacks, and they thought it was germs in the air. So they just go out and spray a ton of Lysol in the air and other things which were just becoming respiratory irritants, Hmm. right? So sometimes people's instincts about what to do are not correct. Um, And so I think, you know, that uh, mattress covers, dust mite covers, mattress covers, getting rid of plush, um, you know, uh, bed um, furry creatures um, is good. Not, you know, not sleeping with your dog if you're allergic to your dog, which is hard behavior to change. Um, and then I think getting rid of the carpet in bedrooms, you know, you do those kind of combined things. We've, we've seen some pretty good results, um, pretty good results from those things. So I totally agree. All right. We're, we're going to go to the roundup because we've got a hard stop at one o'clock. Ellen has to go to another meeting. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Okay, I want to mention a a document that was linked to within the occupant health benefits of residential energy efficiency, and that's the Healthy Indoor Environment Protocols for Home Energy Upgrades. Um, Any comments on that, Ellen? I just want to make sure I mention it because it's a great document, and I want to make sure we get a link to that document in Cliff's blog. Yeah, I think it's a terrific document and significantly underappreciated. This is something uh, that I worked on with EPA. Many of you know Terry Brennan worked on it, too. And um, it uh, it really says when you're doing energy efficiency, doing a home energy upgrade or renovation, here's some indoor air quality things that you should think about, sort of minimum protections and other expanded actions that you might want to consider. And I think it's a, it's a really good toolkit, super digestible, um, that I would encourage home performance contractors to take a look at or anybody that's really working in, in the space of, of fixing up homes. And I, I want to get my indoor environmental professionals more aware of and using that document more. And I also wanted to mention, before you go, you were working on a another document for, I believe it was renovation in schools? Yeah, um, I'm doing a wonderful project with uh, the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council. We'll be talking about it at their conference that um, is a guidance document to help schools that are doing renovations or, again, energy upgrades. Uh, It's an indoor air quality planner. And what's terrific about this is it's really a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet, and you you click on the attributes of the job that are going to be happening. You know, we're doing window replacements. We're replacing the mechanicals changing out flooring, and based on that, it, it auto-generates the uh, indoor air quality specs that you should be taking into account. So you don't have to look through a whole big guidance document. So it customizes those to your job. Um, and uh, I sent you, uh, Joe, a couple documents that you could post on your website uh, or however it make them accessible to people, but um, I think it, it, it gives some really tailored guidance and can help people doing jobs uh, just make sure you, you're not missing something that's going to come back to bite you later. We will do that. And before we go, is there anything? I know you've got to run. So is there anything you'd like to add before we go or anything we missed? No, I think the last I, I want to mention, I mentioned the uh, EPA project. I think it's um, I think it's a really interesting time. And uh, we're seeing some engagement from a, a bunch of new sectors of uh you know, if you're kind of in the inter- air quality world, um, you now have interest from the energy efficiency sector and the healthcare sector. So, you know, time for us to to come up with some new ways of doing things, 
really evaluate how well they work and talk about them to each other and, and share some models. So I, I think we can make some big change. Well, hopefully we help get that discussion started here today, and we appreciate you joining us, Ellen Tone. Tone Environmental Strategies, I want to talk to you again. I'll give you a call in the next week or so here. Hopefully we can chat about some other issues. Yeah, and I want to say thank you to you guys for giving me the time. Really appreciate it. We appreciate you joining us. I know you've got to run, but we'll talk again soon. All right, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Ellen Tone. In, uh, tone environmental strategy is very interesting. I, I, I got to say, I think the key is that collaboration between healthcare, the indoor environmental professionals, these energy guys, they're in the homes anyway, uh, the home performance people. You know, they can, they can at least do the basics, maybe do some, you know, that they've got the uh, BPI certification. It's got a little checklist thing going. And then, you know, maybe partnering with them might be a way for some of the um, industrial hygiene, indoor environmental professional type people to, you know, keep the business going. We've got to all make a living here, and, uh, you know, otherwise we won't be helping anybody out. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, to our engineer, John. you got to have faith. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Next week, we've got Pete Duncanson, the chairman of the IICRC, who has agreed to join us. That should be a great show. We'll be back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening.